Hey, if, uh, if you've ever needed some encouragement and to be reminded of what God thinks about you, then you came on a great Sunday. Uh, we're into part two of a series that we started just last week called Real Life. And uh, how many of you have now lived long enough to know that life is, not, life is not a game? Life is real. And sometimes it's really painful. How many of you realize this? Uh, life can be painful and uh, there can be challenges that we face, and there can be all kind of pressure. And uh, it, it seems like, in fact, this week, and, and it's not uncommon, just so many different conversations with so many different people that, uh, and not in the same way, because we're, we're all different, and we all have different challenges, and all have different problems, and, and pressures, and pain. And it just seemed like this week, uh, just so many people were just, you know, when I had a chance to talk with them, or to pray with them, or, or to be on the phone with them, it was just like, man, I'm going through a really challenging time, and that is not uncommon. I used to think when I was a, a new Christian that it was un- uncommon for Christians to have problems, uh, but then I can remember one day I was reading in my devotions, and I was just a teenager, and I came across this verse. The apostle Peter talked about it. He said, uh, uh, he said do not think it a strange thing, you know, and I'm paraphrasing. He, he's like, when you have problems, don't think that's strange, that's actually normal. It's normal, and they're not going to stop. I hate to tell you this. Your problems are not going to stop until you get to heaven. So you get a choice. Go to heaven now or keep dealing with some problems until you go to heaven. And so, you know, it's, it's your call, I guess, but we're going to face challenges. And we've been talking about it, that life does not always go the way that we plan. I mentioned that to you last week. Maybe when you started out in your life or your career or your marriage or whatever it was, you just had a great plan. But maybe some of your plans have not yet materialized. You thought, well, you know what? By this time in my life, I'm going to be retired, but you're not able to retire. Uh, By this time in my life, I'm going to have kids, but you haven't had kids. By this time in my life, I'm going to be married. By this time in my life, I'm going to be out of debt. By this time, and you just had a plan, and now the plan, the dream, the vision for your life has not yet been realized, and you may be thinking, well, what's up with that? And if you're not careful, it can begin to sow some seeds of discouragement in your life, and you just got to ask, God, help me. Help me to have a clear perspective. I'm going to see my life as you see my life. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. And then on the flip side of that, there are times where we're like, you know what? This was not a part of the plan. I, I never planned to lose my job. I I never planned on getting a divorce. I never planned on going bankrupt. I never planned on getting sick. I never uh, planned to have to deal with this problem. But now here I am, and I'm having to deal with this challenge in my life. And life is real, and life at times is painful, but I want us to see some things today. Our focal passage last week was actually uh, from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, and I'm not going to review that message. You can go online, and if you were not here, I hope that you'll do that. But in that talk last weekend, I shared with you that in these nations, all right, you got to follow me right here, in these nations that were surrounding the Israelites, each nation worshiped their own set of gods, their pantheon of gods, the plurality of gods that they serve. And and you ought to research this sometime. It's it's quite interesting, actually, that all these surrounding nations, it it was true among uh, uh, everywhere, really, among the Babylonians. It was prevalent among the Assyrians, uh, certainly among the Canaanites, uh, among the Egyptians, and among them all, they had their various religions, and they had their plurality of gods, and each of these gods, this is important for you to keep in mind what I'm about to say, each of these gods had their own specific name. So follow me right here. At the top, and you've got to understand this if you're going to understand where we're going in the uh, next few moments. 
At the top, there would, there would be these various gods, all right? That's like at the, at the ultimate top, at the zenith. Then under these gods, there would be a king. And I'm talking about these pagan nations, the Amorites and Canaanites and, uh, and the others that I've mentioned to you, Babylonians, Egyptians, and such. And so underneath these gods, there would be a king. There would be a leader. And then beneath the king, there was a court, as it were. Generally speaking, at that level, there would be various priests, a pagan priest, who would report to the king. Then underneath the court, there would be an assortment of merchants, and let's call them skilled craftspeople. And then at the lowest possible level in their current society would be lots and lots, and this number would be predominantly larger than the other numbers. There would be lots of peasants and there would be scores of slaves. Now, in this kind of org chart, if you will, it was believed that the king was semi-divine. Semi-divine. He was like, you know, man in a sense, but he was like a god. He was like a god. In fact, the understanding was this, that the king was actually made, listen to this now, that the king was actually made in the image of the God who had created him. So this king was viewed as as just this awe because he was seen as being semi-divine, that he was created by a God and, and he bared the image of the God who had actually created him. And this would mark the obvious dividing line between, say, the king and the court. It would be a division line between the king and and the merchants or the skilled uh, craftsmen and such. But it especially would mark a distinction between the peasants and the slaves. Now, you have really, really got to hold on to that thought or the rest of what we're going to talk about is not going to make complete sense. So I want you to hold on to that as we really, really dig in for the next few moments. Now, how many of you are up for that? How many of you got it at least a decent night's rest? That would encourage me if I see lots of hands. All right, if you did not, there's more coffee out of the cafe Please go and fill up because I want you to hang in here with me because if you will be able to capture this, I believe it's going to be exceedingly helpful to you. Now, what we're going to do today is we're actually going to go back even further than Jeremiah's time. We're going to reach all the way back to creation, which is described for us in the very first book of the Bible, a book that is called Genesis. And most of you are familiar with Genesis. Now, having said that, how many of you have ever made something, you created, you fashioned together something that you were quite proud of. You, you, you built it and, and you stood back and you're like, wow, that's pretty impressive. And, and uh, you know, so many of you that are skilled and, and you can create things and build things and fix things, you know, I am totally, totally impressed with that because I, I can't even function in that orbit. You know, if, if, if something breaks down, it's like, replace it. Find somebody who, because I'm like, all right, you know, if it, if it has gas, that's about all, it's got gas. And so if it's not working, then I don't know what to do. I can put gas in it, but beyond that. And uh, so I was, in, I was in high school and grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta. Most of you know that by now. And I really wanted to graduate early. I, w- I was a good student, but I wasn't like a great student. I, I was involved in sports and stuff, and I liked hanging out with my friends. So it, it wasn't that I was this great student, but I was a good student. 
but I really wanted to be done with high school. I remember going to a guidance counselor as I'm coming into my senior year, and, and uh, I'm like, I meet with this guidance counselor who I liked a whole lot, and, and I said to her, I'd like to graduate early. And she's like, oh, really? You know, think back now and sort of humorous. Oh, really? You want to graduate early? And I said, yes, I want to graduate early. And uh, I said uh, to her, I said, I've got it all figured out how I can graduate uh, early. And she's almost like, do tell. I'd like to hear this myself. And I said, well, I figured it up, and, you know, I've got certain required classes I've got to take in order to graduate, and I've taken uh, these classes, but uh, if, if you will allow me to double up on English, and rather than take one English course, I can take two in a, in a semester. I've got this all figured out. I can graduate early. In fact, I can graduate in January, and I'm thinking to myself, well, the rest of my friends go through May. I'll already be done. And so she said, well, I'm not going to be able to let you do that. And I'm like, and I did it respectfully because I liked her a whole lot. I would have been respectful nevertheless. But I'm like, I believe you can. And she said, well, how? I said, well, why don't you let me take two Englishes and my grades begin to drop, then I'll, I'll back off and I, and I won't do it. And she said, well, let's, let's try it. Well, there's certain elective classes that you had to also fulfill. So I'm thinking, all right, I'm doubling up on English. I've got it. I want to graduate. And so I'm like, well, you know, I've got elective classes. And I, it wasn't like at that point when I was doubling up on English, it wasn't like, hey, I think I'll do a science elective or a, or a math elective. I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll do an art elective. I'll do an art elective. I can remember going into that class, and this class I took primarily because I had a lot of friends that were taking that class, and, uh, and because I thought it would be an easy A, and I, I can remember my art teacher uh, to this day, and I went in there, and it's like, now what we're going to do, and, and uh, she was all into art. I mean, if you think of artsy, capital A, capital A, capital A, and artsy comes in, I mean, she was just so, like, art was, and I've got an appreciation, but art was the greatest thing ever in the context of humanity. And I didn't quite feel as strongly as she did. I just wanted to get an A, wanted to fulfill a class. And so I never made anything a, a clay. She, she said we were going to make a vase. Mine didn't look a lot like a vase. But we had this little deal. And I remembered, actually, because I was a Christian by then, I could remember, you know, talking about the potter's wheel. And, man, as I'm working on this clay and that little wheel is spinning, I'm just, I'm just thinking about, you know, how God works with us and shapes us. And, and I'm so glad that we didn't turn out the way that my vase turned out. And, you know, I'm just shaping it. And I'm like, okay, all right, it's, it's, it's done. That's all. And then she said, and now we're going to paint some glaze on it. And I'm like, what is glaze? You know, really, what? And so I did, you know, painted it up and, you know, did, and got it all painted up. And then she, you know, we got to that stage and then the time came. And, and my buddy here, uh, Randy Glotfeld, he knows all about this. In fact, his company makes these kilns, K-I-L-N. And uh, now it's time, you know, and she was, to go on the kiln. It's like, you know, this fabulous dish that was being made. And so it didn't look like much, but I've got to tell you, when, when my... Very impressive, very expensive. A vase came out of that kiln. I had a whole new appreciation for it. In fact, I can remember looking at that and feeling quite proud. A guy who has never been able to make anything but trouble <laughs> had made a vase, and it looked really, really nice. 
I love this verse. It's not on the screen. It's in Genesis chapter 3. It's the very first verse of that, that chapter, and it follows a portion of some of the creation that God had already set in order, and it says this. I love it. It said, God saw all that he had made, and this is what God said. God said, this is very good. This is good. And God's creation was a lot better than my vase or, you know, that uh, whatever it was you made in wood shop or metal shop or whatever, you know, and God stood back and he said, you know what, this is very good. And then just a few verses later in this same chapter, we run into a couple of verses that you're about to see that, that these verses, I've got to tell you, when you read them for the very first time, they're exceedingly strange, but yet they're splendid at the same time. It's like you read it and you're like, what is he saying here? What does this mean? Could something like this be true? And if it is true, well, what does it mean for my life personally? And I want you to see these verses. They're on the screen, 26 and 27, still in that same chapter, Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image. This is really important for you to keep in mind because we're going to really dig in here. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock. Let me, let me do a timeout right here. How many of you have pets? How many of you have pets? Can I just see your hand? You obviously like having pets or you would not have them. And, and you know, this is part of the creative order and you never even thought about it. How many of you, how many of you actually have a pet that you can train. You can train it to do things. Let me, let me see your hand. You can train it to do things, all right? So you can, how many of you would agree, for the most part, you can train a dog? Would you agree? You can, how many of you have dogs? How many of you are dog lovers? Let me see your hand, all right? You're dog lovers. Any of you been blessed by God that you have like a bulldog around your house? I'm just curious. You've all right, like, you know, the highest level of all adults in the animal kingdom. All right, just wonder. So you have a dog. And how many of you have found that this dog that you love so much and you've given this fond name to that you can train that dog? Let me, let me just, uh, all right, you can train that dog. All right? You can train animals and all kind of animals. You've seen this. You've been to zoos and such. Now, I, please, please, please don't, I don't dislike cats. I just don't understand cats. I, I don't dislike them. Please, please. I, I, I love you, therefore I would love your cat. But I've always been curious. I know you can train a dog because I've had dogs. I'm just curious, can you train a cat? You know, you can't, can you, can't wave at me if you can train a, a cat. You can train a cat. Well, I'm, I'm impressed with that because any cat that I've ever, you know, it's like a dog. It's like a dog. This is how I view the animal kingdom. It's like you come in or you, you have a dog and, and, and he runs up to you and he's so happy to see you. And I'm so glad you're home and, you know, just pet my head. And I, I'm thrilled to see you. I love you. You're my master. And, and then I see a cat and a cat's personality is such like, I don't need you. I don't need you. Leave me alone. I'll do my own thing. That's, that's one man's perspective, all right? So, but when you train your animal, a dog, and now obviously you can train cats and horses and all kinds of animals, and actually it goes back to this, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Look at this next part. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's a very interesting verse, or verses. I hope that you realize just profound, how profound this really is. It is what we just read. It is the single most earth-shattering statement about the worth and the value and the dignity and the equality of a human being's life. 
And I want you to think about it because I ask you to remember this. Remember earlier when I said that among these nations, the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Canaanites and such, there was this idea that the king, that the leader of this pagan nation was semi-divine. And, and pagans and, and slaves especially just felt like they're dregs of society. Like, does anybody really know? Does anybody really care? And so with that in mind, friend, can you imagine what great news it must have been for peasants and slaves when the, for the very first time... They come to the realization when they're exposed to the truth that is in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that they could look and fundamentally understand that I too am made in the image of God, not just this king, not just these pagan priests, but that I have been made in the very image of God. By the way, so have you. You are made in the image of God. And and some of you don't feel that. In fact, a lot of you, you don't really feel that way right now. You don't feel like you're made in the image of God. You don't feel like you have any importance uh, whatsoever. And and you've not thoroughly embraced that truth yet. And maybe in your mind you just say, well, how can I believe that I'm made in the image of God when I have so many complexities that's been a part of my life? You know, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I've had a lot of faulty assumptions in my life. But I want to tell you, one of the chief faulty assumptions that I've had is that all parents are loving, nurturing parents. Now I've been a pastor a lot long. You don't get to my age 37 not heard a lot of stuff going on. And I've talked to so many people, it's staggering to me. And I know that, and it's probably a little bit painful for some of you. I want you to be encouraged. But the reality of this is is what I've heard among so many people, that that's not the kind of home that they grew up in at all. That they grew up, you're never going to amount to anything. You're never, just like your life has no real, and and that saddens me. And I didn't have, I didn't have perfect uh, parents. Most of you know from, I come from a divorce home. My parents got a divorce when I was 14. But I never, never, never questioned, was I loved by my mom, by my dad? They weren't perfect, but they were pouring into my life and they cared for us kids, three of us, and and, and yeah, and, and I, just, I just thought everybody's home, in a sense, was like that. But then so many people say, I was told my whole life. Some of you are saying, you know, how can I be made in the image of God when all, all I was ever done, my whole life virtually is feel put down? I felt put down as a child, as an adolescent, as a teenager. I felt put down as an adult. How can I feel that I'm made in the image of God when there's been so much negativity in my life? It's just sort of damaged your psyche, sort of damaged your own personal self-worth. I'm sad about that. I'm really sad about that. But nevertheless, it does not nullify the reality that no matter who you are or what kind of home you were raised in or what kind of family origin you may have, listen, friends, it does not diminish the reality that you still were made in the very image of Some of you are saying, all right, you can say that, but you know what? You don't know me. You don't know the big sins. In fact, nobody knows. Nobody knows some of the big sins that I've I've committed. That's what's going through some of your minds right now. You wouldn't be saying that. You wouldn't be so proudly announcing that, trying to encourage me, because, Pastor Jeff, if, uh, if you only knew what I've done, nobody knows, nobody ever knows what I've done. I've just committed some really, really big sins. I would still have to say, wouldn't make excuses for that, 
But I would still have to say that does not mean that you are still not having been made in the image of God. Some of you would say, well, you know, if I'm made in the image of God, why have I had so many problems? Why have I had so many challenges? Why have I had so many setbacks in life? You don't have to raise your hand on this, but some of you have felt like in times in your life, it's like, you know what? Every time I get a little forward momentum going in my life, it's like I get a step and then a step and I feel like I'm making progress. It seems like I take three steps and then there's four steps. But, you know, it's almost hard for you to become optimistic about progress because you're fearful something negative is going to go on in your life. You're like, if I made an image of God, why have I gone through that? And many of you that you may not feel particularly smart or, or attractive or popular or successful, and you're like saying, you know, I find it hard to believe that I'm made in the image of God, but I want you to hear me this morning, and I want you to hear me loud, and I want you to hear me clearly. It does not rescind what God has already set in motion in such an incomprehensible way. And when the day arrives, when you truly accept this reality, it will not only change your life for the better. You know what it will also do? It will also change the way that you treat other people. Because you'll not only understand I am made in the image of God, but everybody I come in contact with is also made in the image of God. And it doesn't really matter whether they're rich or whether they're poor, whether they're black or whether they're white, whether they're powerful or weak or, or, or delightful or destitute or popular or overlooked. They have also been created in the very image of God. It's true of your life. Back to the ancient times for just a moment. These kings whom I uh, mentioned to you earlier, what they would do is, you know, how many of you know that uh, there was no internet in these days? How did we ever live without it? They didn't even have cell phones. Wow. Any of you ever remember the first cell phone? How many of you, you do you remember the first cell phone? I, I always participated in athletics, but I never really worked out hard in a gym until I got the very first cell phone, and I had to just to carry it around. It's about this big, weighed about as much as a concrete block. And what do we do without these things? And so what would happen in these days? There were not uh, the kind of communication uh, avenues that we have today. There wasn't news, and there wasn't TV, and there wasn't cable, and there wasn't all these other things. So these kings, listen, this is important. You've got to hear this. What they would do is they would often set up images of themselves, statues specifically in many places, throughout their empire. And what was the purpose of that? All right? So what they want to do, set up an image, a statue of themselves throughout their empire to remind everybody who is ruling, who is in charge. So it wasn't like, you know, in political season when we hear, you know, a particular politician and it's just everywhere leading up to an election, it's everywhere. Well, they didn't have that. So once this king was king, they were considered to be semi-divine in their own mind, the minds of the people. So they wanted everybody to know just how important and impressive they were. So they would just put these statues all throughout the empire. So people, every time they would see the statue in their mind, they would be reminded who's really in charge here. Now, you really got to catch this. There's another king, in fact, he's our king, who sovereignly reigns from heaven above, and he has placed images of himself throughout his world, and let me tell you who those images are. Those images are actually you and me. They're you and me. It's God not saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run a political campaign because I want everybody to know who's sovereignly in charge. 
I'm going to put pictures of myself everywhere. I'm going to put statues of myself throughout my world, throughout my kingdom. God said, no, what I'm, I'm not going to do that. Our king says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to place images, and it's going to be you and you and you and you. You're going to be my images. And our divine assignment is to represent him until he returns to the earth again. Check out this verse. Look at it on the screen. Habakkuk 2.14 says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What does this verse do? This verse helps to remind us that each of us are holding a mirror. We're holding a mirror. You see, among all of God's creation, among everything that God created, remember what I mentioned to you earlier, that God, he had not yet created human beings, but of everything else that he had created, he, he stood back and he said, you know what, this, this is good. This is good. What I've created is good. It's way better than Jeff's face. It's good. It's real good. And then he created people. And it's like God reaches a whole nother, nother level. And it's like, you know what, what I've created here. It's really good. But what I've created in human beings is spectacular because I have created them in my own image. And that cannot be said of any other segment of God's creation. Plants are not created in the image of God. Trees are not created in the image of God. Animals, our pets, are not created in the image of God. Solar systems are not created in the image of God. It's you. It's me. And we were not only created to live in this vibrant relationship and vibrant fellowship with God, but we are also created to reflect his glorious and righteous reign over his whole kingdom, over the whole earth. So I've just got to ask you, how are you doing on that? How are you doing? Are you holding up a mirror? You're saying, you know what? God, my king, has not put images of himself throughout his kingdom I'm his image. I'm his representative. I'm to mirror God among the people that I come in contact with. It's obvious that we live in a tough world. It's tough for those of you that are young families, and we've got tons of young families at our church. And I just just want you to know, it's not the first time you've heard me say it. It's not going to be the last time. Even if you are not motivated to serve God and to go to church for your own self, for the sake of your kids, it's so important that you lay a foundation that's going to help them to stand strong as time moves on. I'm convinced. I am the ultimate optimist. The glass is already always half full. It's never half empty. It's half full. But the reality is it's optimistic As I am, I still must be a realist. And I don't think this world is going to increasingly get better. I'm sad to tell you, I think it's going to get worse. And it's so important that our kids have the right kind of foundation in their lives. It's obviously a tough world that we live in. And it's so much different than God intended for it to be. Because when sin entered the world, it disrupted God's original plan. It messed up God's original design. So there was violence instead of peace. And there became hatred in the place of where God intended there to be love. There was conflict where God God wanted there to be harmony. 
I want you to keep this in mind now as we read these next couple of verses. This is out of Exodus 19. Look at these verses because this is where you and I come back into play, all right? You've got to see this is so important. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Although the whole earth is mine, this is God speaking, it all belongs. This is my kingdom. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see that? That's you. He's not just talking to people at that time. He's talking to you and to me. He said, this whole kingdom is mine. The whole earth belongs to me. But guess what I'm going to do? You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be a holy nation. You're going to be my representative. You're going to be my image. So just is when you read something like that and you see it still up there on the screen. So just what is, you have to ask yourself, what is my functional responsibility as being a priest, a kingdom of priests? He said that we ought to be. And it goes back to this notion. Because we are made in the image of God. Remember Genesis 1? We are made in the image of God. We must reflect and represent him in this crazy, messed up world in which we live. And this involves... And you got to get this because we don't always, uh, well, let me not say you. I don't always get this good. I don't always get this right. But I want to more and more. And I want you to more and more. And that is that we would see people and we would love people. And that we would care about people the way that God sees people and loves people and cares about people. You know what? Although the Holy Spirit is everywhere present, he is everywhere present. Jesus is not coming back to this earth again until he comes in the rapture. Until that time, he says, you know what? You represent me. Here's what I'm going to do. Listen, this is for all of us. I have chosen no other mechanism. This is God. I have chosen, all right? And this is our fundamental responsibility. I have chosen no other expression of my love except through you. So if people are going to see my love, how are they going to see it? Through you. If people are going to see my kindness, how are they going to see it? Through you. If people are going to see my compassion, how are they going to? They're going to see it through you. They're going to see it through me. And that's the only way. That is, our, that is our functional responsibility of being a priest. So what does that mean? That means we choose to forgive and to reconcile. Instead of holding grudges, and that's easy to do, isn't it? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you know it is sometimes really tough to turn loose of a grudge? But we say, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to reconcile. It means that we care for the hurting and the lonely, and they're all around us. And we treat everyone, everyone with equality, no matter what their gender, their race, their political bent, their lifestyle. See, God is not about dividing us, about dividing us. God is about bringing us together. Do you agree with that? And oneness and unity. And he said, all right, kings of the Assyrians and the Canaanites and the Babylonians and the Egyptians, they may set up their image in this way. But here's how I'm going to do it. You are created in my image, and that brings value and worth and dignity to your life and equality. But because you're my image, I'm going to set up my little images all over the world just so that people can see how great I really am. Look at these last couple of verses. 1 Peter 2, verses 1 and 5. 
Therefore, rid yourselves, because we're images of God, right? Therefore, because you're images of God, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit. Rid yourselves of hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Look at this next verse, verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be, here we're right back to it again, a holy priesthood. Well, I'm just about done now. This service is just about over, which means you can slip your shoes back off. (laughs) But do you know that it matters more what God thinks about you than what you think about you? It really does. In fact, can I say it this way? And you'll understand it. I do not mean it rudely. I mean it compassionately. What you think about yourself, I know it matters, but it doesn't really matter once you understand what God thinks about you. And there are many of you, and I know this as well as I know my name, there are many of you that are in this room right here, right now, you've just listened to this message, that you need to completely change the way you see yourself. You got to change it. You are not a failure. I want you to hear me. Some of you right now, you're sitting right there and you're just saying, you know what? I, I heard everything that you said, but I'm, I'm, I feel like such a failure in my life. Listen, you are not a failure. You are not. And you're not unloved. And you're not overlooked. And you're not disposable. And you cannot be defeated. Why? Because you are made in the very image of God. You're worth so much more than what you actually think that you are. And because you're made in the image of a great God, you and I must reflect His greatness and His glory and His grace in this world. Have you truly embraced this reality in your mind and in your heart that all people, all people, every breathing human being has value and has worth and has dignity and equality in the eyes of God? So, From this moment forward, will you sincerely ask God to let his love and his compassion and his mercy flow through you to all of those who God has created? Will you stand with me for a closing prayer? The image of God. The image of God. Next week, we're going to wrap up this series, and I'm just telling you, you listen, you don't want to miss. I've been excited each week that I've been preparing these messages connected to this series, but I cannot even begin to describe to you how excited I am about next Sunday. And you got to be back for that. And bring somebody with you when you come back. We're going to have a wonderful time, and God's going to speak to us once again. Would you bow your heads, everybody? Close your eyes. How many of you, you'd just say, you know, uh, Pastor Jeff, there was, there was something in this message that I know was for me to, I know it. It's like, it's like my mail was being read. It's like you knew because God pointed out to you something about my life, and I needed to hear this. There was something in this message that was for me. Would you just lift up your hand? Just lift it up really, really high. And you know what that was, and God knows what that was. Maybe for you, you just need to be reminded you're not a failure. Maybe you just need to remind it that no matter what you've heard, no matter how many times you've been put down, that you're made in the image of God. No matter how many times you've messed up, 
You're made in the image of God. No matter how many times you've just felt like, hey, I'm not needed, I'm not wanted, I'm not cared for, I'm not loved, that you're still made in the image of God. And God's got a good plan for your life. Others of you, what you needed to hear, you need to be reminded that you're God's image in this world. You're his ambassador. You're his representative. And we're to mirror his likeness. And if people are going to see God's love, they're going to have to see it through you and me. His care and his compassion. Father, thank you for everyone that is here today. Thank you for scores and scores of people that raise their hand. I have to admit, God, you were speaking to me very strongly as I was working on this talk. So it was for me too. And God, I just pray that you would help us all to be encouraged and strengthened. I pray that we would be challenged to be your representatives. Some people, the only God that they're ever going to see is the God that they see living and breathing inside of us. So help us to represent you well and love the way that you love and care the way that you care and see every single person the way that you see them. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Love you, everybody. See you right back here next Sunday.